all bad things. Tragedy. Tragedies, disasters. That's bad things. Trigger warning for everything possible. What? I'm Rachel. I'm David. And this <coughs> is All Bad Things. <laughs> Follow us Insta, Twitter, Facebook at All Bad Things Pod. Email us allbadthingspod at gmail.com and join our Facebook group. Just answer the question. <laughs> <laughs> Just answer the question. Just answer the question. Um, we have, This is the second time we're recording this week, so I don't know that we have anything... Oh, yeah, I guess it is. New and fun and interesting to banter about. I don't don't think so. Much to the chagrin of our one-star reviewers. Yes, they are (laughs) highly upset. (laughs) What you drinking tonight? I am having a burial. The beginning is the end? I don't remember. This is is what I was uh, drinking last episode, yeah. It's a coffee porter. It's named something like that. With the Black Panther on it. Yeah, but I don't feel like taking it out of the koozie because I'll wind up spilling it. Gotcha. (laughs) You don't want to read the poem like I did? Remember the oh, little yeah, dramatic reading in uh, the book? <laughs> some, somebody can buy it. I, I, I suggest buying it. Yeah. Well, we are drinking Asheville beers tonight, then, because I have the Catawba Evening Joe Coffee Ooh. Blonde. Can I try that? Yes. Only if I can try ours here. This will make for good, like uh, a, um, good audio. Looks like a cream soda. Oh, that's really good. Ooh, that is good. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, yours is very thick. Yes. Very, <laughs> very uh, coffee-y, as very you said. Very coffee-y. This is too, I just think that the blonde offsets it a little bit. It's little not bit. quite as thick as the porter. And that was all bad beer corn. <laughs> but it's good beer. It is we're good not, beer. We're not calling we, we, it bad beer. No, we mean the brand. All beer corn. All beer corner. All beer things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all beer all the time. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess we don't have a ton to talk about, do we? Well, it's a good thing we're recording yeah. a podcast then. Yes, it is. <laughs> um, this is the We Have Nothing to Talk About podcast, <laughs> where we wind up talking about something, but it's not really anything. <laughs> um, so I've been struggling a little bit, struggling, um, with being motivated to research multi-casual, or like a mass casualty disasters. When we're in the middle of a mass casualty disaster. Yes. It's a little hard. It's a little tricky to do right now. Um, so I've been kind of on the search for, or even like, because we still have plenty of listener research, but it's still kind of hard to read through that stuff when, again, it's kind of depressing right now. It is. Um, and we should just do more all good things, which we need to get on. We've only done two in like two months. Hey. <laughs> They drop randomly, though. Exactly. So you never know when you're going to get one. Never know. Uh, well, we never know when we're going to record one. No, we one. don't. And that's why you never know when you're going to get one. <laughs> so I've been looking into, like, okay, what are disasters that aren't necessarily... I mean, they're bad things, but not... How about the death of a city? Like We, we haven't done that in a while. Yeah, like I should, we did... I should, um, I should look one up. Centralia. Yeah. I'm sure, I'm, sure there's, I'm sure there's more than one out there. Oh, yeah. Um, so that's why, like, um, when we did the JFK Jr. plane crash, it was like, that was a bad thing. 
minimal death count, more of an interesting background. More of a you know? historical, historical event. Yeah, yeah. You know, so a little bit Cause, more cause of that is, bend. It's something I hadn't thought about in a while, mm-hmm. but I certainly remember when it was happening. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, that's, I'm right. guessing that's how a lot of people probably felt like, oh, I kind of forgot about that, but yeah, holy right? shit, like I remember all this. Mm-hmm. So I kind of wanted to find something in that vein, and uh, I... I think I, I was, every once in a while, I'll just Google, like, most bizarre disasters, and it's always the Boston Molasses Flood. And uh, um, top uh, worst nat- uh, natural disasters and stuff like that. Well, I Googled engineering disasters hmm. and found an interesting one. Okay. We're not talking a bridge collapse. Oh. We're not talking um, some sort of catastrophic failure aside from... A major misstep by a major corporation. No, that never happens. Yeah, right? We've never even covered any, anything like that. <laughs> so uh, this also happened before I was born, so it was more um, digging into history because this I was not around when this was going on. But I had heard uh, references to it and never knew the backstory of it. But I learned it, and I'm going to tell it to you today. Nice. So this, my friends, is the story of the Ford Pinto. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I know a little bit about this. What do you know of it? If I had, if I said the Ford Pinto, what would you say? All I know what is that um, on any top ten worst cars ever made, mm-hmm. it's on that list every right. single time. Um, that's kind of all I know about it, okay. and that it was a little small coupe, I believe. Is that what it was? Two door car. It's a subcompact. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's that's really all I know. Oh, okay. but, but I do know. Do you like, know why it was considered a disaster? <sighs> or worst car, one of the worst cars. I want to say that it's. I mean, it had like a terrible safety record. Was one of the reasons, maybe. Or did it? Or I don't know. Mm. See, that's all I know is. Yeah, it's an interesting. Very it's little. A, it's a very interesting one with lots of historical context because oh yes, we're going back to the days of Henry Ford. So, from 1971 to 1980. The Ford Motor Company sold a subcompact vehicle na- they named the Pinto. When safety like, con- literally named I- it after a bean. That's <laughs> they did not. I, I know they did not. But that is the first thing that is going to come to anybody's just, mind. Yes, <laughs> and it kind of looks that way if it you look at look it. It does look like a little bean. Yes, <laughs> with wheels on it. <laughs> when safety concerns were raised regarding the vehicle's fuel tank and oh. placement. The company's response only exacerbated and magnified the Pinto's potential defects, resulting in a PR disaster that quickly outpaced the real danger of the so-called fire trap. Jesus. So was it, uh, obviously the gas tank was up on the front is what it sounds like. Mm-hmm. No? I'm, well, I'm oh, not going to spoil the whole story sorry. at the top. <laughs> so, so main sources for this were Wikipedia, Mother Jones, who we'll get to a lot lately, the Ford Motor Company's website, ThoughtCo, Time, Popular Mechanics, a lot of popular sure. mechanics, Ward's Auto, the American Museum of Tort Law, Justia, Orange Bean, Indiana, <laughs> and How Stuff Works. I know, kind of random, hey. random websites. So, um, This is a more fun one to do, though. It is a little bit. I yeah. mean, there's going to be some bad stuff I'm in here, sure just for is. the record. It's yeah. going to be pretty gruesome when it does get to the bad stuff, but... Um, it's historic. I, I mean, there's just a lot of rich context to draw from on this, which I find really fascinating. So, um, 
the first time I, I actually remember the first time I ever heard about the Pinto and it was in Speed. Do you remember when in, in the movie Speed, 1995 mm-hmm. Speed? 94. 94, original Speed, not mm-hmm. Cruise Control. Not Speed 2, Cruise Control. No. Cruise Control. Which was a shit movie. <laughs> um, I actually heard that uh, Sandra Bullock agreed to do that movie so that she could do Hope Floats. Like she got. I have seen that deal. movie. Me too. It's has pretty Car- cheesy. Very chronic. Yes, Jr., it right? does. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty terrible. Um, oh, it's anyway. it's okay. <laughs> eh, whatever. I'm sorry if you if you liked Hope Floats and I just said it was terrible. It wasn't totally terrible. It just was kind of terrible. So when Annie Sandra Bullock's character is driving the bus and Jack comes up to her and says, "Are you?" And his he best key on her. He comes. Are up and you he says, all right? He comes up and he says, "Whoa." <laughs> Still one of the best lines ever, and that was like probably his best take. <laughs> That's why it's in the movie. Like, like this is as close as he came to nailing it. No, he remember because she's not the bus driver. The bus driver is the bus driver, but then he gets shot. Or yes, her, shot. Yeah, yeah. shot. Mm-hmm. And uh, so bus she driver was uh, bus. like an old black guy that had been a character actor in a lot of films. Oh, okay. Yeah, he'd I don't he'd know been in, from anything else. He'd but... been in a bunch of stuff around that time, like okay. especially in the eighties. He'd pop up in movies here and there. Okay, um, so she takes over driving the bus, and she's all stressed out, and, uh... What? Sorry, <laughs> it was okay. a text from my mom. There you go. They didn't get the house. Oh. Uh, too bad. Uh... <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean there that sarcastically. No, I, I know. Like, oh, too bad. Oh, anyway. <laughs> anyway. Um, she's driving the bus. She's stressed out. Jack, uh, Keanu Reeves' character, comes up to her and is like, are you okay? And she's like, sure, it's just like driving a really big Pinto. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, I'm I don't, fine, I'm fine. I don't remember that. I had to, I asked, I remember asking my parents, I'm like, what's a Pinto? And I, th- I think one of them was laughed. like, it was a really, yeah, yeah, it was a really small car from a long time ago or whatever. Actually, it wasn't that long ago no. back then. I was, I was thinking that it was a 60s car. Mm-mm. I thought it, I, yeah, I didn't realize 70s, it was the 70s. Solidly okay. in the 70s, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, I just, yeah. Now, here's the funny thing, too, especially looking back at it. If I were an adult in the 70s in the market for a car, I would have bought, bought a Pinto. Yes, you would have. <laughs> you know I would have. Yes. Because it was the bottom of the line Ford, mm-hmm. which is what I have. I, I mean, I think the Fiesta still is their bottom think so. economy model. And you got, I have a manual. And, and you got the bottom of the bottom line. I did. I got a manual <laughs> transmission Ford Fiesta 2012. It has an auxiliary hookup, and that's it. That doesn't work anymore. That doesn't work anymore. <laughs> the sound system doesn't work anymore, so. Ah, <laughs> uh, but anyway, so that's funny because I probably would have bought a Pinto. Yeah, you would. Yeah. All right. Or a Corvair. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? The little tiny thing. A gremlin. <laughs> gremlin. We'll, we'll bring that up. So, All right. So this disaster goes all the way back to one of the literal titans of American industry, one Henry Ford. I wanted to include his middle name. Like one Henry James Ford. He doesn't have a middle name. So that's really? Not, yeah, he's just Henry oh. Ford. Interesting. Henry Ford. Um, as with most humans, and definitely most early 20th century businessmen, he he's a shall we say problematic historical figure. Yeah. Um. He most notoriously was quite anti-Semitic. I think it's fair to say. Yeah. I mean. Racist. And he was. I. I. 
pretty sure he was also like a Nazi party supporter. I mean, we had a people people forget it's kind of been swept under the oh the that rug. there were American sympathizers, Nazi sympathizers, like big name yes. American, not yes. like some like who's that guy? No, no not like, just Joe Schmo. Yeah, no. Mm-hmm. Um, but also. Innovatively did a lot of things right. I mean, you can't take that away from him either. He oh, was like Ford. The, yes. I thought you were saying the yeah, Nazi no, not party. The, no, like, no, what? No, 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 no. <laughs> not the Nazi party. Somebody's going to not do anything right. Somebody's going to take that right out of context. <laughs> like when I when I run for, uh, what am I running for? The, the Earl? Not the Earl. Oh, the Marquess. Uh, Marquess when I run of Hoddington. For, when I run for Marquess of Hoddington. <laughs> would you like a casserole? Would you like, would you like some fruit cake? <laughs> Somebody's going to pull that clip. So and say I, that, that the Nazi, that you said so that the I'm, Nazis I am did with, some innovative things. I'm officially withdrawing my nomination <laughs> for Marquess of Hardington. <laughs> so you were... He did some good things. I think that's what I said. Henry Ford yes. um, was, certainly revolutionized industry in America. That is not an understatement. In the world. Yes. Well, yes. Yeah. With Yes, that's in correct. In humankind. Yes, yeah. human kind is on the world. World, but he, but um, but he was like one of the first major manufacturers to pay people a living wage. Yes, that's true. There were some workers' rights things that he can he mm-hmm. uh, contributed to as a yeah. business owner. Um, but he also supported the Nazis. So well, <laughs> Poe buddies nerfed. Yeah, <laughs> boom. boom. <laughs> The enemy of me, the enemy of my enemy, is my friend. Emony. An Emony. Emony. I uh, one of the hardest animals to pronounce for me is sea anemone. I don't even know what it. You don't know what a sea anemone is? I've never heard that. It's before. a C S E A anemone. It's a little Anime? ocean creature, yeah. akin to an urchin. I could be making that up. Anyway. <laughs> just, just like a Ford, just like a Ford Pinto. This is going right <laughs> off the rails, right from the get go. <laughs> so, born in 1863, Henry Ford was mechanically inclined from a young age, and eventually showed enough promise to gain one Thomas Alva Edison. At least he has a middle name as a mentor when he work, went to work at the Edison Illuminating Company of Detroit, oh. in Detroit. In the late 19th century. It's so funny how many of these like early automakers and stuff, they're all at Dearborn, mm-hmm. Lansing, Detroit. Buffalo. Just, yeah. uh, Buffalo was a... Um, Buffalo almost became what Detroit became. Like as far as... Including its decline. Well, they both had a... But Buffalo yeah. is very close to being the uh, like big time auto manufacturer hmm. in, in the United States. Hmm. But people chose Detroit instead. Ah. So uh, Ford became interested in the development of the automobile. Automobile. Do you know what where it's... is my automobile? <laughs> is that from something? That's from Sixteen Candles, your, your oh, favorite movie. Oh, I hated that movie. <laughs> it's an awful movie. Automobile. <laughs> um. So when do you think the first actual automobile? Was made and where? I think it was, uh, I know it was in the 1800s because automobiles were, I believe, originally they were electric. Um, and I want to, I don't remember where. Uh, 1885 or okay. 86 in Germany. Okay, that makes I sense. By one Carl Benz of oh, the Mercedes Benz. Mercedes Benz. Yes, indeed. Who's that guy? Yeah. He's just the Benz of Mercedes Benz. Um, uh, Mercedes, if you want to sponsor the show. <laughs> I will take an S class 
anytime. You can pick out whatever. It could be bright green. I wouldn't care. With red leather interior. Like That'd, old I'd be fine Christmas with it. Tree you're driving yeah, around. I'd be good with all that. Do you know the song um, Janis Joplin sang live at like Monterey Pop or something? Oh Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? No, I'll have to play that for you. Anyway, that, that's okay. I'm not a big Janis, Janis Joplin fan. Oh Lord, fan. won't you buy me? Anyway, in the United States, the first automobiles were produced about a decade later, so uh, 1895-ish, by the Duryea Motor Wagon Company. I I think I'm pronouncing that right. D-U-R-Y-E-A. It could be Duryea. Sure. D-A. I should have looked that up. Um, Which was founded by former bicycle-making brothers, so kind of two two wheels good, four wheels bad. Um... (laughs) No, that was from like the real world. That was Puck or something. Anyway, uh, bicycle making brothers Charles and Frank Duryea, Mama, and however it's pronounced, in 1899. Those Hen- guys. Yeah, those guys. Oh, those guys. Henry Ford left the company, um, Edison, so not his mentor, but the, his company, and went into business with partners to create the Detroit Automobile Company, which, like many companies throughout history, Went bust within a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of them did. He then went to f- on to found the Henry Ford Company in 1901. And again, like many others who tried to start a business, he had a dispute with his backers, the people who gave him the money. And that, so he left the company, but that particular company would go on to become what we now know of as, any guesses? What? Cadillac. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. The third time ended up being the charm for old Henry when, in the summer of 1903, he and 12 partners created the Ford Motor Company with an initial with initial capital of $28,000, which was a lot back then. Around uh, t- today, it would be around 800,000. Yeah, that's a lot mm-hmm. for a startup. Well, yes and no. Yeah, yes I, and no. A million dollar startup is not massive. No, it's not. So, Henry was the controlling shareholder and the president of the company by 1906. Um, I wrote, now, contrary to popular belief, actually, I have no idea if this is a popular belief. It's just what I thought. (laughs) So it's my belief. Contrary to my belief. (laughs) Contrary to me. (laughs) Contrary to me. Ford did not produce the first mass-produced car. I thought the Model T was the first mass-produced car. I guess I thought so, too. It was not. It was the 1901 Curved Dash Oldsmobile. Okay. Yeah. Produced by the Olds Motor Vehicle Company, founded by Ransom Eli Olds, because apparently all aspiring automakers in the early 20th century couldn't help but name their companies and their cars after themselves. Oh, of course. (laughs) No, there's no ego involved there. No. I'm going to name the company after me. (laughs) (laughs) Like, like think of the stones that you would just have to have just to think that. Right? (laughs) Uh, the, ma- the mass production of the Curve Dash Olds was made possible by the assembly line, which actually has its roots well back before the Industrial Revolution, though the first complete and continuous assembly process is thought to be at the beginning of the 1800s at the Portsmouth Block Mills, which produced pulley blocks. So, okay. Yeah. I thought, again, I guess I that's thought, not too surprising. I thought Henry Ford created the assembly line. So I, I had a lot of things wrong. Yeah, so did I, apparently. <laughs> So, um, Ransom Olds created and patented his assembly line, which allowed a then-unprecedented output of 20 vehicles per day. 
That's a lot, though, for back then. But for some perspective, a modern plant for oh, building yeah, cars. It's like an hour. 20 vehicles in under five minutes. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's so, massive. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. So it's 1,200 cars an hour then. It's, I can't do that math. I think so. Fast. Yeah. No. 1,200, 12,000? No. I don't know. I'm just throwing <laughs> a number out there. It's not that many. <laughs> Somebody, somebody oh, bust out a calculator oh, if you're not driving a car. It doesn't matter. No, it doesn't. Okay. Ford's first mass-produced vehicle was the Model T. Um, interestingly, there was like a Model A, Model R, Model, like sure. all these other names. That continues today. Yeah. The, mm-hmm. the, the naming system. Sure. Uh, so it was introduced in 1908, first assembled by hand, um, which kept production low. And I, you're going to enjoy the pictures for this week's episode because nice. it's a bunch of cars. So here is the 08 Model T, as in 1908. What a beaut. It is actually pretty. It is. It's kind of cool. Like, you could see back in the day. It like, does look like a carriage, like a yeah, horse-drawn carriage. that's exactly what they were going for early on. Carriage. Mm-hmm. They must have had garages, because otherwise, well, what the elements? I think they used what, mostly they used, like, horse barns and things like that. Oh, yeah, just mm-hmm. park the car in the barn. Yep, yep. Not the garage. Not the garage. Hadn't built garages yet, or had they? I don't know. I don't know. Interesting. <laughs> somebody should somebody should look into that. <laughs> we should look into that. <laughs> Let's not get into that just yet. So with his vehicle in high demand, Ford was forced to figure out how to increase his supply, and he did so by improving upon the assembly line through the use of a conveyor system. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's all right. I that t- tissue holder is a little... I found these in the bathroom. I didn't even realize I had them. I'm sure that was scintillating for everybody to learn. The Model T was popular and affordable and remained one of the... Oh, remains on um, the list of the top 10 selling models of cars of all time. Wow. Yeah, throughout history. It's in the top 10. In the US, I imagine. Sure. And also, because you have to realize there weren't a whole lot of options back Mm -hmm. then. No, I mean relative to all cars. No, 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 but I'm just saying saying that's why. They cornered the market on vehicles. Oh, yeah. They were probably one of like... 10 cars well, being made. Well, they could have bought the Curve Dash Olds. They could. Apparently. I've never even heard of that. So apparently apparently, apparently doesn't have much of a... Lasting uh, Lasting legacy. image, yeah. <laughs> uh, so it certainly... The Model T certainly galvanized Ford Motor Company as a solid, economical, American-made auto brand. Which is still... It's... I would still say around. its image right now, or today, to this day, is like... Improved. Good American, yeah. solid, built Ford tough, sort of. Yeah, they've stuff. rebounded. About 10 years ago, they were in the shitter, but... Like every other automaker, mm-hmm. yeah. But, yeah, they've rebounded. So by 1919, Henry Ford, his wife Clara, and his son... Oh, uh, I don't know. Edsel. Oh, that's right, that's <laughs> We'll right. talk about that in a little bit. That's also on the top 10 of worst We'll talk ever. about that. Bought out all of their shareholders in the Ford Motor Company to become the sole owners. So it's completely Ford family controlled. Mm -hmm. So Ford Motor Company kept up over the next decades competing with their main foe, General Motors, which they do to this day. (laughs) It's like a hundred year um, rivalry. Operations expanded overseas, including German subsidiary Ford Germany, which produced vehicles for the Nazis. So... There's that. There you and maybe go. that's where you get the Nazi sympathizer thing. I don't know. Or maybe he really was. Henry died in 1947. And a couple years prior, he handed the reins of Ford Motor Company 
not to Edsel, to Edsel's son, Henry Ford II. Okay. In the halcyon days of the 1950s, Ford began stealthily developing its next big thing, internally referred to by the codename E-car, or experimental car. Mm. Very hush-hush. In the meantime, they managed to release another American classic, The Thunderbird, in 1955. They they tried to do a redo of that one, right? Like a remake of The Thunderbird. I don't know. In the 90s. I feel like they did. It was super roundy um, fronts. I immediately. I don't get very technical into cars in this episode, obviously. I immediately think of like a early or like mid eighties model, with the Thunderbird. Oh, I think of the old fifties ones, the big no, boat. I, yeah, I, 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 then, yeah. I don't, I don't know if they've ever tried to go with that they one again. Do Did a, re- they? A, a Thunderbird reboot. They might make some special edition ones here and there. I don't, I don't know. No, I thought they did a reboot. Anyway, like kind of around the time that like. Uh, the PT Cruiser and the HHR and those like throwback looking cars were in when they revamped the Beetle. I d- well, yeah, that was around 2000, but I, I guess I, feel I don't like remember in that the... era. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, this, this has been all bad car corner. <laughs> Literally, this is, we don't know anything about <laughs> yeah. cars. In 1956, Ford Motor Company became a publicly traded corporation and was endlessly teasing. This new evolution of the American automobile, their e-car. Finally, on September 4th, 1957, in a huge publicity event they called E-Day, Ford, <laughs> reveal, Ford revealed their baby to the world, the Edsel. Oh, my God. Want to see the Edsel? Sure. Here's the Edsel. It's a boat, uh, but all cars were boats. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know exactly. I would need to see its contemporaries to see like what the... There's something more fun about the Edsel, so. Okay. So after sinking a decade of development and $250 million into the development. Wow. So in today's today's money? It's got to be a billion. 2.3 billion. Holy shit. That's how much they spent on developing the Edsel. It flopped major. So it had major expectations that had to live up to, which it very infamously did not it was just it was just a flop and as a uh, pontiac found out uh, right around 2001 2000 like if you make one bad product it can literally kill your entire brand what was it that killed pontiac the uh the car that walter white drove the pontiac uh, aztec yes that, oh that, that thing literally, was really ugly that thing literally killed oh my god they spent so much money developing oh, that thing it, and it didn't sell it's just upside down it on fucking it, sunk them oh man <laughs> yes yikes that's true i didn't even think of pontiac as like not being around but yeah. no they're not no nope, they're not if you wow. yeah if you see a pontiac for sale anywhere don't buy it because <laughs> literally like the the youngest it could be is like 17 years old and they sold it in really ugly colors too like orange yeah. and yellow yeah, was it? yeah. oh my it was pretty goodness. hideous that's right prettiest prettiest <laughs> edsel production ended in november 1959 it lasted like two years in a case of horrifically flawed timing, all the market research over the years that it had been de- developed hadn't revealed the recent shift from mid-size cars to more compact models. And then amongst the other reasons for its failures, consumers didn't appreciate the design of the grill, which drew unflattering comparisons. Oh, I've got a better picture. 
that kind of looks like a face. It does look like a face. So here are the things that it was compared to. Um, an Oldsmobile sucking a lemon. <laughs> Doesn't it look like a pucker? Um, a it, toilet seat. It, uh, yeah, it kind of also look, kind of looks like a cartoon. Yeah. Like, I, I bet this is where, like, they drew inspiration from for, like, the movie Cars and shit like right. that. Right. <laughs> Because it does look like a face. And then a lot less flatteringly, a vulva. Ah, uh, yes. A, a vagina, people say, but we know the external part. Yes. Is, is anatomically correctly known as a vulva. So, yes. Uh, yep, it's pretty ugly. It's, it is kind of an ugly car. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, during this period, a young engineer who joined Ford in 1946 yeah. at the age of 21 was quickly rising through the ranks having long since left the engineering department for the sales and marketing department where he was making a name for himself. And that name was... Lee Iacocca. Yes. Are you serious? You are dead Oh, I was just fucking around. (laughs) Really? You are 100% correct. (laughs) Nice. That dude was a natural salesman. That's for fucking damn sure. Well. Yeah. Imagine being good at being a salesman and an engineer. Well, he was better at a sale as sales but, apparently, but, but being he good did at, develop. But cars. being good at both those things gets you to be a CEO someday. Yeah, it sure worked for him. So uh, here's Mr. Iacocca, back in the day, next to a '62 Ford. That is not how I remember him at all. I remember him as a much older man. Yes, obviously. I wanted to get one of him more contemporarily to the mm-hmm. story. Sure. At, at the point that I introduced. Kind of looks like uh, Howard Stark a little bit. He just needs the mustache. Howard Stark from uh, the Avengers. Oh, okay. I, you I just watched, watched Endgame. I finished watching Endgame finally. Okay. It was pretty. Uh, it was pretty good. It was sad. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> when I hear the name Lee Iacocca, I just rem- <laughs> <laughs> just completely indifferent. I have no care. I have no care of it. I have no care. When I when I hear the name Lee Iacocca, I just remember the episode of The Office where David Wallace like pours out this super expensive scotch at a dinner party being like, oh, this bottle was gifted to me by Lee Iacocca. And uh, Michael goes, well, here's cheers to Mr. Iacocca and his failed experiment, the DeLorean. <laughs> <laughs> you know who developed the DeLorean? Yeah, DeLorean. John, John DeLorean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, then he sips the scotch and is like, ew, ew, do you have some Splenda or an ice or ice uh. I can put into it? <laughs> anyway. So, Lee Iacocca. Lee helped Ford set up for a comeback after the epic fail of the Edsel as he developed one of Ford's most successful and still produced all-American models, revealed at the 1964 World's Fair in New York. Guesses? Uh, the Mustang must be one of them. The yeah. Mustang. Yep. That's a 64 Mustang nice. right there. That's a fucking gorgeous car. It is. The lady kind of looks like she's a giant hood ornament. She, she kind of does. Yeah, she kind of does. <laughs> that is kind of fun. Yeah. It's a weird ad choice, but okay. Uh, the Odyssey. Yeah, that's, that's a nice ride. Well, and there's Mustangs have been around for, well, since 1964. Almost, almost uh, 60 years now. Yeah. Um, so the auto industry in general was also b- booming throughout the 50s and 60s because the interstate highway system was being sure. built. Um, we were just watching Pretty that. much by the 60s, it was pretty yeah. much finished. Yeah, it was the 50s. Yeah. Eisenhower was yep. the main driver. We started yeah. it, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and like in the uh, um, History 101 episode of Fast Food we just watched, 
drive-in movies. Yep. Um, Everything drive-ins. was revolving around yeah. the car. Mm-hmm. Yep. They were trying to think of, okay, what can we do with the car? Right. <laughs> I mean, right? really, yeah. that was their, can you eat in it? Check. Like, they didn't get can to... You watch a movie in it. <laughs> yep. Uh, will you be able to watch a movie, like, in your car, like, it's part of your car, like, someday? Like, they and were, th- they worked, were thinking know? of that shit, Eventually. like, that long ago. Yeah. So that's what, I mean, really... Um, our economy revolves literally around two things, a house and a car. Yeah. It really does. Mm-hmm. Think about how many industries benefit from both of those possessions. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Um, so as the 60s wore on, the safety and ecological impact of cars became more pertinent issues. In 1965, one Ralph Nader published his seminal consumer advocacy book, unsafe at any, any speed, speed. Mm-hmm. the designed in dangers of the american automobile that was about the corvair yes i, I believe yes. so mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. also ralph nader i saw some pictures of him around this time mm-hmm. he was not bad looking back in the day he was a little cute i just think of him again oh somebody who's an now. old man yeah. yeah um yeah but anyway cost al gore the 2000 election not yeah <laughs> <laughs> al gore cost al gore yeah. the 2000 election <laughs> oh, yeah there you go, Jesse. Jesse stretched. So anybody, yeah, big stretch. So if anybody wants a uh, stretched out and chewed oh, on, don't stop eating the script. Jeez. <laughs> Those should be uh, collector's editions right there. A, a Jesse chew. Mark. Yes, we've got. So if anybody wants our uh, Ford Pinto script after this, <laughs> it's got chew marks in it. All right, so that helped spur on a number of road transportation safety programs, including the creation. Uh, or including the 1966 National Traffic and Motor Vehicle Safety Act, which, among other things, eventually created the National Highway Safety Bureau, which was quickly renamed the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, or NHTSA. Um, And it required all cars to be manufactured with seatbelts because that used to not be a thing. (laughs) Yeah, I remember my my dad saying, like, the first car that they had that had that had seatbelts in it they just thought it was kind of cool they're like oh like, like i'm putting on my seatbelt seat <laughs> instead of instead oh, of I'm potentially uh, saving uh, my life. yeah this is so this is so much fun because i mean when when the interstate really first opened up like traffic fatalities just yeah. freaking mm-hmm. took off because people f- fucking driving drunk uh, yes driving at and driving these huge metal mm-hmm. fucking tanks mm-hmm. i mean you look that at we're a, able to go faster and faster yeah because car design was yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so imagine yeah. going for let's go for a drive in 1965 <laughs> on the interstate no thanks no seatbelt <laughs> uh, I um, wouldn't even do it with a modern car fuck that <laughs> oh I wrote in here note the main vehicle set forth as an example of poor safety design in the book was the Chevy Corvair so you are correct mm-hmm. at the same time the Clean Air Act of 1963 and the Vehicle Air Pollution and Control Act of 1965 led to the beginning of emissions controls on vehicles in the U.S. Simultaneously, foreign imports were starting to muscle in on the U.S. market. So back at Ford, in the mid-60s, Lee Iacocca saw the trend of larger and mid-sized vehicles slowly falling by the wayside in favor of smaller, more ecological and economical models largely dominated by imports like the British Motor Corporation's Mini, and Mm -hmm. Volkswagen's Beetle. Mm. 
Japanese motor companies like Toyota, Honda, and Datsun were also starting to Datsun. gain a foothold. Wow, I forgot foot about holds, them. Yeah, in the U.S. market. I remember. Um, I remember my Jesus. That I can picture it in my head right now. I remember our neighbor had a Datsun truck. It was blue. I could picture I'm it right to think now. Of the last time I ever saw a that Datsun. might that honest to God might be the last time, but I remember it. Are they it. still around? I don't think so. I think they died out like around this time. I, I, no I want to say, I don't know. I have no idea. Somebody should look that up. <laughs> we're, we're coming up with a lot of questions. I, I will. No, go ahead. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll see, but continue on. You know, I don't love talking. Uh, while okay. Yes. Later. We'll answer sure. all our questions. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have a Q and a for this episode. <laughs> By 1967, Iacocca Iacocca, Iacocca, sorry. Decided, Iacocca works, though. Eh. Eh. <laughs> um, Iacocca decided it was time for the U.S. manufacturers to get into the subcompact car market. Yeah, I, I think that is what your Fiesta is considered. I think it's a compact. Or is it compact? At best, it's a compact. You know, I don't yeah, think it's this, a this class might not even be around anymore. Or probably is. Who knows? Well, there's the Fiat. The mini's still around. That's true, around, the mini is back. So, yeah. yeah, I think maybe that's more of the subcompact. The minis are bigger now than they were then. So, yeah, they, they yeah, like the Countryman or whatever, yeah. the, the larger ones, yeah. So in early 1969, uh, he convinced the board of the Ford, board of the Ford Motor Company, <laughs> the hey. board of the Ford Motor Company, to Were you from Toronto, eh? <laughs> To fast track his design that was already in the works of a light, meaning under 2,000 pounds, under a ton, a car under weighing under a ton, that sounds impressive to me, and economical under $2,000, which would be uh, roughly under 14000 today, okay. which is pretty cheap. I don't I don't know that you can find a base model a brand for new car? 15 uh, even anymore. I would say 15 would be the absolute lowest. Probably, prices, probably closer to 16 to 18. Prices are going to prices are going to go down on them too. Yeah, for up. right now, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um so under 2000 pounds, under $2000 model that would be named not after a bean, but a pony. <laughs> the Pinto. Do you know what Pinto means? I don't. Painted. Oh. This is a Pinto horse. Oh, okay. And you can see it kind of looks like a cow, right? Cuz it it's got the does, spots. It does, yeah. So this is the Ford Pinto, the OG Ford Pinto. OG. And yeah, that's, yes. I Yep. And their little ad, meet Ford's new Pinto, the little carefree car. <laughs> There's a little pony. <laughs> There's a little pony. And again, it just gives it the, okay, this is a pony car. It's like, a pony what? car. But I was right. Yeah, it's a coupe. Yeah, it's yes, two, two, two doors. doors. This yeah. is the original design. Sure. Um, I think they called that a fastback. I have it in here somewhere. Um, the sloped. Yeah, uh, I mean it's it's rear. what it's what it's what is now the hatchback. They just kind of. No, no, this was not a hatchback. This did not open up. No, 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 that didn't. But it led to the hatchback. The, the, yeah, the. Because um, you kind of see this design a lot with cars now. It's just not as sloped. Yeah, yeah, and see what I what I kind of don't. I get see with what the they design. were going for. I guess the aerodynamics, maybe that was the yeah, thing. Yeah, that's what they like, were going it for. It seems like it's very long for, like it didn't need to be as long as it was. That generally means they handle well, but mm. I doubt it was known for that. Oh, well, let's keep going. <laughs> <laughs> you you generally want a long wheelbase. That improves handling on your car. Hey. 
What is he doing? I don't know. Jesse. Little as bowl long cat. as he's not eating underneath the bed. He's not. He wasn't doing Jesse that. has started eating our box spring, just so everybody knows. <laughs> Haven't you? You're a terrible cat. But you're a sweet boy. All right, so <laughs> so he wanted the Pinta to be fast-tracked, and the board agreed. So while the average for the industry from design, from like conception to market, was uh, an average of 43 months. Sure. They uh, yeah, about um, three to four years. Is, it's that's still the standard. They put it on a twenty-five month plan, basically two-year plan. That's yeah. A decision that would come back to haunt not yeah. just Lee but Ford itself. So the early development of the Pinto came during a period of swift change in the federal auto regulatory landscape. So prior to its development in 1967, standards were passed that dictated car fuel safety, specifically in front-end collisions. So by January of 69, when the Pinto was getting the green light, and I put in ha-ha, get it from the green light, from the Ford board, the NHSTA proposed uh, they expand those regulations to include rear collisions at an impact up to 20 miles per hour, though they were eyeing eyeing future standards up to 30 miles per hour. I cannot speak. That's why it's good we have a podcast. (laughs) At the time... Ford announced that they supported the new 20-mile-per-hour standard, though they would fight, along with other manufacturers, the 30-mile-per-hour standard. Yeah, let's not the, get too crazy the, just yet. They're like, yeah, let's not get into that just yet. Mm-hmm. The 20- they're, they're like, we'll settle with 20. Like, we won't fight you on that. Right. But, but if you go any higher. Mm-hmm. So the 20-mile-per-hour standard was adopted by the NHSTA in August of 1970, compelling automakers to comply within 18 months. There's a rollout, like a phase-in. Well, sure, you can't do it automatically, because there's a lot of things you're going to have to change, Mm -hmm. so you can't do that overnight. So at the time of its development, the Pinto included fuel tank placement between the rear axle and the rear bumper. So the axle is the thing that connects the wheels mm-hmm. <laughs> to each other, the two across, yeah, and then the rear bumper. Um, now, this was not just a Pinto thing. That was actually a pretty standard placement for the fuel tank for subcompacts. So. I was going to say, it didn't sound that out of ordinary for then. Mm-hmm. I mean, certainly now, nobody's doing that. So as Ford ran rear collision tests on the Pinto during its development... It became pretty clear that this placement was problematic for the Pinto, even at low speeds. In these tests, the fuel tank was consistently puncturing, causing leaking so bad that the tank emptied in under a minute. Jesus. So on these collision tests, the fuel tank would puncture and empty within a minute. Mm. Now, obviously, fuel leaking or spilling is a major safety issue in a car crash, as it poses a major fire risk. So this was a roadblock. Ha ha, again, I put <laughs> For the Pinto. And this is where the ever popular corporate cost benefit risk analysis comes mm-hmm. into play. Or cost benefits, cost benefit analysis. There was a fix for the pro- this problem. Protect the tank. Right now, this could have been done by several means. Um, there was a rubber liner that they could have used in the fuel tank, an extra steel plate, and even a cheap plastic insulator, all of which could protect the gas tank from protruding bolts in the bumper. That was one of the issues that could cause um, the tank to puncture in a rear collision. 
However, because they were so far into the development process and fast-tracking it, right, even a small fix could be a very expensive one. Ford determined that in order to employ this fix, it would cost the company a total of about $113 million, which is roughly $755 million today. That is not cheap. That is expensive. I will grant you, right? They then ran an analysis on projected annual serious injuries and deaths. They estimated it would be 180 of each. Hmm. 180 deaths a year from this, 180 injuries, uh, serious injuries. And this would, they estimated, be a cost to society. So they weren't even really cost-benefit anal- analyzing their legal issues. It was just a societal cost like lost work, whatever, of $49 million, or about $327 million today. So seeing the numbers, the choice was made that it was more economically efficient to continue with the design as it was in, or, um, as it was in order to hit Iacocca's deadline. So Iacocca's vision of Ford being first to market with a domestic subcompact by employing an aggressive timeline was usurped, by the American Motors Corporation, or AMC, Gremlin, which was released (laughs) (laughs) in March of 1970. And then a bit of thunder was stolen from the Pinto when, on September 10th of 1970, one day before the release of the Pinto, which was on September 11th, which maybe should have been a foretelling, huh? Um, Chevy, Chevrolet, introduced their itty-bitty Vega. Oh, yeah. My God, what a lineup of (laughs) shitty cars (laughs) that they were... The Vega and the Pinto all came out in 1970, yes. Wow. So, nevertheless, out came the Pinto, September 11th, 1970, available at that point only as a two-door fastback sedan, with a price tag of $1,850, which is only about $12,300 today. So That's they dirt were just cheap. like, oh, hell yeah. For that is dirt cheap. For the base model, brand new. That, mm-hmm. that means you didn't get a cigarette lighter in your car. Right. <laughs> that, that, was, that, was a, that was an upgrade back in the day. So that undercut the price tag sure. of the Vega. They're just they're trying to get it into uh, like people in their early 20s who have their first job. Ace. Yeah. Trying to get it in their hands. Chicken in every pot and a pinto yeah. in every garage. Yeah, that's what, the, <laughs> that's what they were going for, though. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, so hitting the right price point and completely on trend, the Pinto was a success with over 100,000 units being sold in four, the first four months. Wow, that's pretty good. That's nice, isn't it? Yeah. An instant success it was, and also an instant headache for Ford. On October 30th, 1970, like six weeks after it was initially released, 26,000 Pintos were recalled Due to reported issues, but not with the fuel tank. Apparently, the gas pedal could get stuck if it was pushed more than halfway down. Oh, my God. Oh, my Jesus. (laughs) Then by March 1971. (laughs) Yeah, that's a bit of a problem. Ford was forced to recall all 220,000 Pintos (laughs) manufactured in previous months because of the concern of fuel vapors in the engine's air filter being vulnerable to ignition because of backfire. Oh, God. (laughs) Way to go, Ford. (laughs) You looked like you wanted to say something. (laughs) No, I'm just... (laughs) 
So somehow these hurdles hurdles were leapt and the Pinto continued to sell hundreds of thousands of units a year, reaching a peak of 544,209 units sold in 1974. Wow. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I guess I didn't realize it was actually a, a pretty good seller. Oh as yeah. As well as being okay. I think it was two point two million in the end. I guess that's probably how it had its rep. Why it had its reputation because so, so many widely. people had one. Yep. Mm-hmm. So now we're getting into the bad things. This is going to get pretty grisly too. So. Well, we know they've projected a uh, hundred and eight deaths. Eighty. Eighty per year. Yeah. Oh, I thought it was one hundred eight. No. So in nineteen seventy one, a couple by the last name of Gray bought a 1972 Pinto hatchback. So by then they were making other body styles, right? Not just the two-door sedan fastback. Now this car was a bit of a lemon. Not the not the model, just like, you know how sometimes you get a bum car, mm-hmm. right? Like, uh, So the Grays had to take it back to the dealership multiple times for problems including gas guzzling, which was especially disconcerting considering it was such a small car, uh, low power, and stalling. Mm-hmm. On May 28, 1972, 52-year-old Lily Gray was driving the Pinto to Anaheim to meet her husband with a 13-year-old male passenger named Richard Grimshaw. Now, I t- really tried not to get too caught up with, who is this 13-year-old Richard Grimshaw to Lily? Mm-hmm. And I literally couldn't find anything. No okay. good. I don't know if she was his grandson, her grandson, or... Like, literally don't know who this Neighborhood kid was. Neighborhood kid? Maybe. I mm-hmm. don't know. Anyway... So she stopped for gas in San Bernardino and then traveled back onto the I-15. I don't know if they, I know they call them freeways and not highways in California. I don't know if they call it the 15 or the I or whatever. But anyway, it was Interstate 15 and uh, <laughs> trying to be hip, but it, 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 I'm not from California. Uh, she was traveling around 60 miles per hour, merging into the center lane of the highway when suddenly the Pinto stalled oh in the middle God. of a California, Southern California highway. Holy shit. That's right? Not Orange good. County, California, right? The car behind her was able to swerve and missed her, but the car behind that one, which happened to be a Ford Galaxy, slammed on their brakes, but still rear-ended the Pinto traveling around 30 miles per hour. As in the safety testing by Ford itself, the Pinto's gas tank ruptured, immediately leaked vapor into the air and into the car's cabin. Mm. And then the Pinto burst into flames, becoming a complete fireball. Both Lily and Richard were able to escape from the vehicle. What? But not until both had sustained massive burn injuries and so much so that they were almost wearing no clothing because their clothes had been sure. singed off. I'm I'm stunned they're not dead. Well, both required immediate and extensive medical treatment. Lily died within a few days of congestive heart failure brought on by the burns. Um, Richard survived, but went on to go through multiple painful skin grafts and surgeries over a number of years. Part of several of his fingers and one of his ears was lost. Mm, So he's like maimed, basically. Several other deaths and injuries in Pintos directly related to moderate speed rear end collisions. So in other words, like if somebody rams into somebody at a high speed, no one's going to like say it was an engineering flaw, right? That was that was a problem with the 
with the actual collision. Sure. But when an otherwise relatively survivable and lowish speed crash occurs and it results in catastrophic injury, that's a concern, right? So, uh, so these collisions were reported in the early 70s related to the Pinto. And in April of 1974, the Center for Auto Safety, which was co-founded by the aforementioned Ralph Nader, petitioned the NHTSA to recall the vehicle. The NHTSA considered the evidence insufficient to cause an investigation. And Pinto production carried on. They didn't even look into it, really. So... So th- that carried on for a few more years. Then in August of 1977, an 18-month-old magazine called Mother Jones released an article written by Mark Dowie called Pinto Madness. <laughs> <laughs> I read part of it. It's pretty funny. It's pretty groovy. <laughs> it's, it's very groovy. It will, it, this is like an alternative publication sure. back in the 70s. So, yeah. I've had it pretty hip (laughs) the article exposed ford's cost benefit analysis (laughs) which uh that became known as the pinto memo um and they also included the story of lily gray and richard grimshaw uh and at the time richard's personal injury case against ford was pending in civil court obviously right of course yes you're gonna sue oh yeah you're gonna sue the ass off that company right and the uh, the article famously branded the fit, the Pinto a fire trap. So that's where yeah, that came that's, from. Jesus. The issue with the Pinto wasn't just the fuel tank susceptibility, the puncture, and subsequent fire in the case of a rear end collision. There were other aggravating factors, such as the front door's tendency to jam shut mm. in a rear collision, preventing escape. And a slight separation of the floor of the vehicle at the wheel wells that allowed gas and fire to oh seep into the God, cabin. Oh my God, Jesus. So here's kind of like a little diagram of the uh, yeah. issues with Just the Pinto. The, yeah, that's... <laughs> but, I mean, we've seen enough. But we don't we don't need uh you know, we don't need safety regulations or anything. <laughs> Just, oh my God. The article resulted in mass exposure of the perceived callousness of Ford at the cost of human lives. Yeah, because it's, it's cheaper to kill people. And resulted in the Center for Auto Safety resubmitting their petition to the NHTSA to recall the Pinto, which they did like the day after the article came out. And this time the NHTSA was forced to listen as they were being called out in the article as providing a, quote, slow motion response, Mm -hmm. end quote, to the deaths of consumers at the hands of the Pinto. And they began their investigation just two days after the article was published. So power of the press worked in this case, right? In the meantime, Richard Grimshaw's civil suit against Ford. Now, this is years later, but of course, legal proceedings can take years. So, um, so uh, it, it was concluding. So the case came to an end and was considered an absolute landmark because in February of 1978, the jury hearing the case awarded Grimshaw a combined total of $255.6 million, wow. which is roughly a billion in I was just going to ask, like, what does that translate in to? In damages, punitive damages, and compensatory damages. The ruling was appealed, but it was upheld, though the punitive damages portion was later reduced from 
$5 million, which is almost half a billion dollars now, to $3.5 million, which is about $14 million now. So the award was reduced, but the ruling was upheld. Mm-hmm. So concluded in May of 1978, the NHTSA's investigation found that Pintos with model years 1971 to 1976 were susceptible to, quote, fuel tank damage, fuel leakage, and fire occurrences that have resulted in fatalities and non-fatal burn injuries, end quote. Mm. Specifically, they found that between 1970 and 1977, 27 deaths were caused by rear-end collisions in Pintos that resulted in fire, and then obviously many more injuries. Now, to clarify, the Mother Jones article, when viewed in the lens of history, was a little hysterical. They claimed that there were more than 500 deaths by, quote, conservative estimates, end quote, which maybe was inflated just a little bit although you know what it's it's an easy mistake to make when ford themselves were estimating 180 a year that is true (laughs) so (laughs) while the administration um so the nhtsa did not demand a recall ford decided to attempt to mitigate the damage to the company's reputation by issuing a voluntary recall um, on June t- June 9th, 1978, of 1. 1.4 million Pintos. Wow. Yeah. Along with uh, 75 and 76 Mercury Bobcats, which were a very similar design. <laughs> I've heard of that car as well. Okay. Mm-hmm. Less than a, m- a month later, after years of personality conflict, conflict with Henry Ford II, Ford fired Lee Iacocca, the face of Pinto. Who went to work for Chrysler? I was going to say, that's what I know him as. Yeah. yeah. Helping to develop the highly popular... Daimler Chrysler. Yeah. yeah. Helping to develop the highly popular Dodge Caravan mm-hmm. and Plymouth Voyager minivans. Yep. Though eventually Chrysler de- declared bankruptcy after the 2008 Yeah, crash. my cousins had a Voyager. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I'm I was growing sure up. I knew people who had the Caravan. Yeah, it was a popular model. Mm-hmm. Both of those were. Mm-hmm. The 1978 recall retrofitted the Pintos with the original fix turned down by Ford in the original cost-benefit analysis. So in other words, they decided not to do it in the beginning and then had to recall them all and do it anyway, right? Apparently, they didn't take into account the hundreds of millions of dollars in legal fees and recall expenses if they proceeded with the Pintos fast track and were found out in the aftermath. And right. and plus you have to, you can't just take those people's cars away. You have to you have to give them a rental or you ha- you have right. to give them something in the meantime. The, cost, the recall costs yeah. too. I mean that's and that's the thing like, and well, how many examples of this do we need? But yeah, well we'll go on. Let, we'll yeah. talk about it in the end, right? <laughs> Jesus. Um, so obviously, had that been considered, it would have made far more sense to fix the flaw before the Pinto ever made it to market. Now. Ford Pinto's problems weren't over. In August of 1978, three young women, 16-year-old Lynn Ulrich, her 18-year-old sister Judy Ulrich, and their 18-year-old cousin Donna Ulrich, Mm. were driving to a church volleyball practice in Goshen, Indiana, in a 1973 Pinto. Judy was driving, had just filled up the car with gas when she noted the gas cover was open. So she's like, ooh, shit. So uh, that was not a direct quote. (laughs) (laughs) It might have been. She put on her hazard lights and started to pull off the shoulder of the road. The 21-year-old, driving directly behind them in a two-ton van, uh, a man named Richard Duggar, 
was temporarily distracted by a cigarette. He like was going to light a cigarette and mm-hmm. it dropped and he was mm-hmm. like, oh, and then looked down and yeah. didn't see her like pulling, starting to pull over. Um, so he slammed on his brakes last minute, but it was too late. He rear-ended the Pinto, got out of the van to go see if the passengers were okay, and the car burst into flames, Jesus killing Christ. all three girls. Oh, God. Now, with the notorious Pinto memo already exposed and the recall in the recent past, or still ongoing, civil litigation was the least of Ford's concerns in this case. Prosecutors in Elkhart, Indiana leveled three counts of reckless homicide nice. against the company good and and the grand jury indicted good uh this was literally unprecedented never before had a corporation faced criminal charges for a product being defective nor had any corporation ever been charged with homicide criminal homicide and i know this because i just recently read a, a matt taibbi book from 2014 um mm-hmm. called the divide he brings up that case. Really? This case is what eventually leads to uh, the Holder memo, memo, which is Eric Holder, mm-hmm. uh, former... Attorney General? Yeah, under Obama. Uh-huh. Um, where they basically made it a thing with inside the Justice Department that you cannot criminally charge a corporation. Oh. It all like stems from this. Protection. They were meaning to do it, like, at the time, because he did this, like, in the late 90s. Mm-hmm. He was meaning to do it as, you know, let's not put thousands of people out of work. Uh, let's not charge the corporate like let's stick to but corporations have like since become human rights and they've since become people (laughs) yeah exactly it's one of those things that had good intentions but has been turned around to well then we can never charge a corporation for anything Mm -hmm. because somebody might lose their job yeah ford's lead defense attorney james f neal effectively if pitifully argued that the pinto was no more dangerous than any other subcompact on the market and Ford was exonerated in a 1980 ruling. Yeah. So, and that's the interesting thing. <laughs> so, this, why, so if it's no more dangerous, why can't you just charge all of them at once? Well, but like, here's you're the all thing. dangerous. Here's the thing. This is the interesting thing about hmm. the Pinto. Ultimately, it actually, history showed that it was true that the Pinto was not, on the whole, more dangerous than any other vehicle in its class. Subcompacts are slightly more dangerous because they're size, right? They're small and other vehicles are large. But there were 2.2 million Pintos sold and the death rate was basically the same of that of any other vehicle of its class. Sure. In fact, when considering all types of fatalities, not just these horrible burning like fuel rear end things... The Pinto, the Gremlin, and the Vega all had similar safety records, and they were all better than the Toyota Corolla and the Beetle. Yeah. They had worse safety rating those, records. Those fucking those damn Germans. Than, and... than the um, Pinto, the Gremlin, and the Vega. The problem was that Ford knew about the susceptibility and accepted the consequences, meaning death yeah. and injury of customers. Because it was cheaper. As favorable to the cost of fixing it, yes. Now, to be fair... There are actually a lot of people who argue that the Pinto did indeed hold up to the regulatory requirements of the day. Sure, I'm meaning sure. Meaning that there was no right. legal requirement for the design to be changed. So yeah. why should they have? Now, that's a very capitalist question to ask, but we live in a capitalist system. So I think it is fair to ask. They probably weren't any worse than any other American company. Well, yeah, but that's part of the problem. That is the problem. You know, it's, that's it, but you know, it's, it's a it's a, it's a race. It's a, it's a race to the bottom. It is a systemic yeah. issue. 
Ford just happened to be the face of it. Sure. So that's the that's kind of the argument. It's not an unfair argument, but it is a huge indictment against the system. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Somehow, despite the problems in 1977 and 1978, the Pinto was produced through model year 1980 by Ford before being retired. Now, despite this pretty extreme and historically public disaster, as well as the advent of foreign imports, Ford remains one of the two titans of the American auto industry, along with its old rival of General Motors, selling 2.3 million vehicles globally in 2019, representing about 14% of the global auto market. Market share? That's pretty damn good. And that, my friends, was the story of the Ford Pinto. Yeah, that market share is about to drop for everybody, though. Mm. No, because <laughs> well, that's it's, true. it's just always going to be just, 100. <laughs> just in America, it's going to drop off. But anyway. Um, that's crazy that a story? story. Yeah. I mean, I I never would have thought to do like something about like a specific product, which is that, that's what this is. One day we'll do the, the Ford Escape and the Firestone Tires. <laughs> uh, yeah, I do. Yeah, that was, yeah. Yeah. My... Aunt worked for the law firm that defended Firestone, I think, mm. or brought the suits again, one or the other. One or the other. She was involved. <laughs> she well, she was just a, a yeah. she was a paralegal. She was not one of the attorneys. Sure. Or anything. But that that company got very rich off of that yeah. that lawsuit. But, yeah. 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 That's... So we'll do that one day. But, yeah. But yeah, see, I just thought it. I thought it was interesting, historic, lots of interesting background, but all and. And a just, bad thing, but not and like here's, horrifically awful children dying sort of thing. And here's the thing: like, look at just the lineup of shit cars that were being made back then. <laughs> because just ten years before, I mean, that's only a decade earlier. Even five years before, you still have the concept of a car as this big thing. Like they went to the subcompact. Right. It was it was uh-huh. like too quick of a transition. <laughs> So there was bound to be some serious problems early well, on. Well, the the problem was that the American, everyone was racing for the American mm-hmm. subcompact yeah. market because um, England and uh, people Germany were, buying were more already cars. doing yeah. it. Plus, in the 60s, that's pretty much the 60s and 70s is pretty much the peak of the middle class, too. Yeah, so pe- yeah. there's more there's more money for uh, average people to spend mm-hmm. back then. Mm-hmm. Um, but then they were like, no, we're going to do the bottom of the line, sure. like a- absolutely economic car. Yeah. And and I mean just the, the car the the Chevy Vega that's a shit car um, <laughs> the Gremlin the Gremlin that's a shit car actually a, a friend of mine in high school had one of those really yes um but yeah that's that's that was a that was very interesting isn't that, it that was a fun topic to do I thought that was uh, minus the accidents and fatalities oh of course. horrible but uh but I mean. No car is perfectly safe. No. You know that. I mean, yes, the, that was a shit thing of them to do. Not only shit, but short-sighted. Yeah, if I had been driving uh, a Pinto when I got in my accident, I'd probably be dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's awful, yeah. But I was driving a fucking thing with three airbags, so mm-hmm. I, I was fine. Well, that this is well before airbags, Oh, God, too. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not that airbags would have helped this type of issue, because no. basically these cars were just exploding. They're sitting, they're sitting ducks, too. Yeah. I mean, there's these little tiny. You get and you gotta. You also have to put into context what they were on the road with at the time. 
You're still on the road the, the, the with all these cars. big freaking yep. Buicks mm-hmm. and fucking Cadillacs and mm-hmm. the you know. subcompacts was still just a part of the market. Yeah, and it was pretty uh-huh. brand new. Like that wasn't. Yeah, this was the trend. This yeah, was the new trend. Like, uh, like before the interstate was built, nobody drove across country. Not no. really. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could, but it would take you a long fucking time. Um, but yeah, when the interstate was being built, and when especially when it was finished. People were fucking driving all over the place mm-hmm. because for the first time you could. Right. You know, mm-hmm. road and, and trip it's, became a thing. And it's also while uh, at the same time, airplane travel is still relatively expensive at the time. Right. So most people are just like, I'll drive 10 hours. Right. Because mm-hmm. I can, mm-hmm. you know. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's I mean, the car has really shaped society in ways mm-hmm. that we can't even comprehend especially american society because mm-hmm. we are far more car car dependent than oh, yeah. a lot of other societies yeah. yeah yeah minus a couple of cities the the whole we country drive, the yeah. whole country revolves around a car mm-hmm. yeah and that's um that's resulted in a lot of our uh transportate public transportation or mass transit um infrastructure not being invested in yeah and uh a lot of people who can't afford cars being caught sure. in a shit place as a result. Yeah, at this at this point, I'm very much for massive, um, mass transmit, mass transmit, mass transit. <laughs> yes. Investment. Thank you. Mass transit investment. Yes. Well, they they have done some of that here, like the mm-hmm. the bus station compared to how it used to look to how right. it looks now. I mean, it Downtown. looks like holy shit. I mean, it looks like. Uh, it literally went from like a Skid Row hotel to like a, to like a Marriott. It's yeah, like, it's like of, whoa, it's this is nice. Modern. Yeah, and yeah. And that that train station, that new train station, that I think is close to being finished, and that's supposed to look freaking. They're still developing like potential light rail. There, yeah. uh, at least I think they still are. I hope so. Um, and well, like Charlotte, they has do have that it in light Charlotte. rail, yep. which is pretty cool. Um, yeah, there's a lot that we could be doing that we're not granted right now is a tough time to talk about mass transit yes it is talk about what's not what nobody's gonna invest in for a while although we still need to we still need it really still need to very much so so yeah that's what happens when you say hey let's cut the lead time in half on a vehicle and cut corners in the safety department yeah and that's the thing it's those and you know those people tried to come up with every horrific situation. Like well, that that's would what that the would crash tests right, are. but that would cost them money. Oh, like but they for the but they literally money. couldn't think of all of them. There were so many, and they're like, "Oh, we didn't think of that." Well, you what know? they didn't we think didn't think of we'd have to do a one point two million car recall. recall. What they didn't think of is what if we get caught? Yep. Yep. Because if you're not cheating, you're not trying, and well, it's only cheating if you get caught. Well, and it was in the very early days of consumer rights. Oh yeah. So I mean, if if Nader's book, which was a like a major leap forward, oh it is, in it's consumer still. rights, oh, yeah. yeah, had I mean, just consu- come out consumer a reports years ago. is uh-huh. Ralph Nader's thing. Mm-hmm. So they they that was not something. Plus, uh, like. To have the foresight about litigation today, companies are all over. Like, oh, hell what's yeah. the risk of litigation? Back then, maybe not as much because even in their cost benefit analysis, they were not taking the, into they, account litigation. Because they're like, who's going to find out? Nobody's going to find or out. Who's gonna, nobody's going to sue you're, us. You're not storing shit on a computer somewhere in, well, in yeah. 1971. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, when this car first came out, you know, it's it's on somebody's legal pad in the desk. No, you, you, can... you punch it in the hole punch yeah. and feed it into the computer. Yeah, you can just burn that. You yeah. Know? <laughs> you can't burn a computer. Somebody somebody's gonna somebody's gonna be able to extract extract that data somehow. But yeah, I mean, they're probably like nobody's ever gonna find out anyway. So and we'll take the rest. It's gonna take le- it's gonna cost less money, which our shareholders will love. Well, that's the problem. The problem because it's all about the, the shareholder. The problem is in the end, the the sick thing is they didn't do anything worse than any other company. <laughs> right. I mean, well, it's like, um, I mean, Lance Armstrong is a piece of shit, but he literally was not doing anything differently than anybody else was doing. He was just the best at it. And and lying through his teeth. About yeah, it. yeah. And just being a horrible human being, yeah. like in the in the background. Mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, it's like. Literally everybody was doing it. You couldn't yeah. compete if you weren't on steroids. And in this market, you can't compete unless you can guarantee every quarter to investors that right. you'll make a profit. Mm-hmm. Every quarter. Yeah. We're talking all the way back in 1971, and it's still every quarter we yeah. had to make a profit. Technically, they've made a profit every quarter for the last 50 years, which right. you know is impossible. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Capitalism rocks. <laughs> Capitalism is a hell of a drug. It is a hell of a drug. Oh, looking forward to the one-star reviews for assholes who like to whine about our talking politics. <laughs> so should we end it there? Let's. Okay. <laughs> that was... Oh, sorry. This is your thing. Oh, okay. You, you can do it if you want. No, you do it. No, okay. You sure? Yeah. 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 We're being too cute now. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the Ford Pinto. This has been another episode of All Bad Things. I'm David. I'm Rachel. We'll see you next week. <laughs>